You're listening to Wolf in Tune, and hello, I'm Richard Wolfie Wolf. So today it's my pleasure to have a conversation with the great music supervising mastermind, Anne Klein. Anne Klein has been a colleague and friend of mine for, I think, a couple of decades. And she is not only a consummate professional in the field of music supervision, music for film and television, but she's also a first-class human being. Anne has been responsible for supervising the music for classic shows like ER and The West Wing. And currently, she's supervising one of my favorite shows, Shameless. And she supervises Animal Kingdom, The Good Doctor, and many others. But another thing that particularly resonates with me about Anne is that she's a meditator. It's been interesting talking to Anne about her explorations into meditation and mindfulness over the past years. And today we discuss the important impact that meditation has had in her life, both on a professional level and personally. We'll also get a glimpse into some of the intimate issues that music supervisors face and how music supervisors are treated within the industry and their, uh, their glories and their struggles. So let's get started. All right, Anne Klein, welcome to Wolf and Tune. Hi, thanks for having me. You and I have known each other for a very long time. And uh, you are one of the greatest music supervisors. <laughs> this, isn't, this is not my opinion, by the way. This is consensus in the music industry, in the sync department of the music industry. You've taken an You're, official poll? I, no, I just, it's an unofficial <laughs> okay. impression over the last, since the late 90s. I've known you since, since the yes. late 90s. And you are one of the, the most professionals, most esteemed music supervisors, and uh, also with unimpeachable integrity and uh, indisputable humanity. Oh, thank you for saying that. Well, yeah. I hope I don't um, mess anything up during this to make you change your opinion. <laughs> I doubt. I doubt that'll happen. Uh, it's been it's been a long while since we've uh, we started on ER. I think that was the first show that uh, that you licensed some of my stuff on. That would make sense. I think I started working yeah. on ER. Well, I started working on it full time. I in like '99, but I'd done a few episodes, some earlier seasons as well, just right. one offs. And then so many shows, West Wing and all, so many shows, too, too numerous to mention till recently, you're doing uh, Shameless. And uh, one of the best shows and one of the highest rated shows on television, <laughs> The Good Doctor, which I yeah. just learned about uh, how great the ratings are. I had no idea. I knew it had great reviews, but I didn't know it was as popular as it is. So congratulations on that. Thank you. It's a pleasure to work on that. But I, but the part about the humanity, you know, that's uh, that's what uh, is very high in my list of priorities. Mm -hmm. um, so you're working from home now, right? Everybody that I know in the in the sync business, whether you're working for a CBS or NBC, or you're working as an independent music sub supervisor supervisor as you <laughs> as yourself and you're working from home right 
I am. Yes. So, you know, I just saw, I got to tell you, I just saw a little video and there's a young woman, she's sitting on the edge of a couch and she's on a laptop doing something and she looks up in the camera and she goes, oh, okay, now it's time for me to go to work. And then she goes to the other, <laughs> she goes to the other end of the couch with her laptop. So what's it like working from home? I mean, there's, you know, there's definitely pros and cons, but for the most part, I really enjoy it. I mean, I have a dedicated office space, so that makes it you know, possible for me to really separate home and, and work more than just moving from one side of the couch to the other. So I'm lucky to have that. It's nice being home. I mean, these aren't normal work from home circumstances anyway, in that, you know, my husband's home as well. Our son has been home until um, a few days ago. And so we're all, we were all sort of working from home, but it definitely, it's nice to have that much family time and sometimes not nice to have that much family time. But in general, I've really liked to keep as, you know, as much of a normal schedule as you can, but then also take advantage of the lack of schedule we have right now and, you know, go for a walk in the middle of the day or something like that. You know, go get some fresh air, walk the dog, hang out. Oh, he just looked at me. Um, so, so I like working from home. And you're used to working in an office on the lot, on the Warner Brothers lot, right? Yes. So this is uh, a change in a lot of ways. And I'm just wondering, what challenges do you face, not only because you're not on the lot anymore, but everybody else that you're working with, their circumstances have changed too? Day to day, it's not, it's, it's, not that it's challenging as much as that it's different. I mean, there's just the obvious challenges in that at my office um, at Warner Brothers, you know, we have an IT department. Um, and here I have, much to his chagrin, my husband um, to fix any sort of. <laughs> so, so issues like that can be slightly challenging. It's nice to be on the lot in terms of, um, my office at Warner Brothers is actually in the, the Shameless Production mm -hmm. office, right. which is a great energy, and it's nice to sort of have a shorthand in terms of you're seeing the all same right. people all the time. And weirdly, I mean, this is this is a very unique situation just in that, you know, if a prop guy is asking me about what my opinion on some prop is, weirdly that can inform me as to, like, what else – what the scene is going to feel like. I know that sounds like such a, it's, it's a unique situation just because I'm in the production office. And so I hear all these other conversations that sort of give you a, a broad outlook on what the episode is going to feel like. So I miss that. And I definitely miss seeing these people all the time and the energy of being on the lot and things like that. But on the other hand, I mean, the time I gain not driving to an office every day and, you know, not leaving for lunch and things like that, or just, you know, chit-chatting, <laughs> um, it really, it opens up hours of the day. So in some ways, there's a lot of positive things to working from home. And it's nice to sort of, I, I don't know, driving is so stressful in Los Angeles. I mean, probably everywhere, but... <laughs> I mean, because I work on different shows that have offices 
seriously all over LA from Culver City to Hollywood to all over the valley. I spend an absurd amount of time in my car and it's just not very productive. So, and it is so stressful parking, the whole thing. So I've enjoyed working from home a bunch. Um, and I was actually planning on spending, because of those reasons, I had been planning on spending more time at home anyway. And we had just set up, you know, a great home office. And so the challenges don't so much come from that. It's, I think what's challenging right now is just the unpredictability of everything moving forward. You know, where is film and TV production going and how and when and where, you know, music, how we're going to enjoy it is sort of changing, um, at least for now, in terms of, you know, live music and how we're recording it in terms of musicians and choirs and things like that. Um, there's a lot of change on the horizon and just, you know, realizing that a lot of it is very much out of our control and trying to, you know, just go with the flow and be open-minded and look for new solutions and hopefully make some of these into new opportunities. So what are you hearing from, for instance, you know, the productions that you're working on that have stopped producing, The Good Doctor, Shameless, and the others? What are you hearing about how they're going to go back to producing? How is that going to happen? And when? And when is it going to happen? You know, Shameless and Animal Kingdom were the only ones um, that sort of got shut down, right? Shameless was about to start shooting episode one of season 11 and Animal Kingdom was in about episode five of season five. My other shows finished like just as um, everything got shut down. So those were other shows that were sort of more active. And I think they're hoping, you know, ideally to maybe start pre-production late, July and be in production in August, but I don't think they know anything for sure yet. Obviously, there'll be a lot of changes since it's not like there's a lot of on-camera performances in these shows. It's not production changes don't affect me as much, but um, I don't know if just aspects of the way things are going to be shot and how many people you can have on it in a scene or things like that might change the overall sort of feel of the show. And as you know, from, you know, being a composer, sometimes when things can't happen in production, one of the ways you can sort of fill that in is in post-production. And often that's, you know, with music or sound effects or something like that. Well, I've heard that people that are writing shows now are going back and rewriting for the principles that are being shot to have physical distancing. So they have to kind of rewrite scenes to allow for that and other vagaries in the circumstances that the virus or the pandemic is forcing. Yeah, I think what Shameless is lucky in that it takes place basically as like a very realistic, dramatic depiction of current day. So in their scenes, they can say, we have to be six feet apart or you have to wear a mask. So I think it's easier for the, if you know, you know what I'm saying? Like it's easier for them to write the pandemic into their storyline. And um, 
I mean, these are just sort of some of the ideas I've heard batted around. I think what I've heard from the shows I'm working on is they're, you know, exploring a lot of different solutions. So it'll be interesting to see. Do you see the changes that uh, are being made now in projecting uh, production coming up as being permanent? I mean, in terms of them being long-term, I I mean, I think some things are just lessons that will change society in terms of being more aware of how germs spread and, and how dangerous it can be to come to work sick or something like that, which I think will just inform all of our lives moving forward. I feel like we've always known that, but how often have you had someone come to work not feeling well or like I've gone to work thinking like, oh, I don't feel great, but I should go. I mean, I have so much to get done and I'm more productive at the office, not thinking that what you're doing could really endanger other people. And so I feel like changes like that and maybe things, you know, with more people working from home and doing meetings, you know, over Zoom or whatever platform. I think a lot of those things we've learned are so doable and can be so successful. But in terms of like what we see on camera and people being distant, it's so hard. I mean, just in terms of, you know, fight scenes or sex scenes. I mean, you know, we go to entertainment for an escape from reality. And I don't, I, I think that's part of the appeal. Yeah, I think it's a really good point you made about how people are a lot more aware now of uh, how they can infect other people when they're sick and get infected themselves. And and we'll see if that really lasts. It, it, it's a very, good, very uh, good chance that it will. It's a good point. I'm just curious to know, what is it like when you're working on post? So that's for the, obviously for the music and the sound effects where people don't know what post-production is. How is that? working from home and then working with the editors and the mixers that you have to work with and the producers that you have to work with who are working remotely. How is that process? I mean, so far it has been really successful, at least in my experience. But I have to say I'm lucky in that most of the shows I work on are in at least their, you know, fourth, fifth season. And everyone already has like, a really close relationship and we know how the show is supposed to sound. So by the time we get to a spotting session, which as you know, is when you sort of sit down with the director, the editor, um, the producers, whatever, and, and go through a show from beginning to end and talk about the, the music, be it the score or the source. And often the sound effects are in that meeting as well and sort of all come together for a creative discussion about the sound of the show. So much of that on the shows I'm working on is done, it's almost all finalized by the time we sit down for a spotting session. So for the most part, unless there's something, you know, that all of a sudden hits us as odd or wrong, we're mostly just saying, can we still afford it? Do we still all like it? Let's move forward. Whereas shows in their earlier seasons, it's a much more of a creative discussion about how the overall feel of a show is and if you want it to feel tense or beautiful or exciting and you want it to sound realistic or 
fantastical. All those different decisions have already been made on these shows. So I work really closely generally with the picture editors in finding the correct songs that we want to use throughout the episode. And so it's been really easy, at least, you know, in my experience. And we've done a few spotting sessions, you know, online. And um, I think everyone was happy. I mean, I think you can't, it's never the same as being in person and, you know, having that sort of, you know, somebody might just give a look or a laugh or something. And that's where you realize, wait a second, maybe that isn't working. We've all thought it was working. Um, but now that I see your reaction, I get that maybe you're not 100% sold on this. So I think you lose some of those little, little hints or, you know, just sort of like the indescribable energy of actually being together. But for the most part, I, I think it's been really successful being able to to spot or even, you know, output cuts um, without having any in-person meetings. Yeah, so that's a pretty radical development. So you can do your post-production and interact with all the people that are necessary to interact with remotely. You don't have to, you know, you could be living in New York and do a spotting session in LA and we're getting habituated to that now. Yeah. So it's not it's an acceptable concept. The composer on the Good Doctor was in um uh, was doing a score in London for a lot of last season and so he did almost all of the spotting sessions remotely and it worked it really worked great. Well, yeah. I, I, I there've been I mean for a long time there've been sessions for instance in Czechoslovakia with the Czech right. orchestra, right? For movie scores, right? So they're conducting, the composers in LA and uh, the conductors in right. LA and the orchestras in Czechoslovakia. That part of it is is not really revolutionary, but the in television where you have to do a session every week, if it's, you know, a broadcast series consistently, this is a, this is a, a radical development, I think. Yeah. Um, and maybe is is the concept of you don't need to come to an office for some people uh, going to stick, do you think? I mean, I hope so, <laughs> because I yeah, definitely yeah. enjoy Although I have to say music supervisors often, you know, work from a home office. Um, I had so many shows at Warner Brothers way, way back before technology is where it is now. That, that it was so incredibly helpful to be in the same location as where we shot and where we did post, because if something was on camera, you were right there. If, um, you know, if we had to get a cutout overnight, I was right next to the edit bays. Um, but now, you know, you can, it, it's such a different world. I mean, from back then when, you know, we had CDs and we were, you know, driving all over, buying something from Tower Records to bring to an edit bay to try to make a, you know, VHS to drop off to a producer. So times have changed so much already mm -hmm. in what we've been through in this mm -hmm. business that right. this this is almost like it's a pleasurable one in so many ways. The bummer is just in general, I think a lot of us love the people we work with. So it's it's sad not to get to see them in person as much, but yeah, in terms of the overall product, I don't think it really diminishes that. 
Yeah, you know, talking about the changes since we started, um, and I guess you probably started in music supervision before I got into sync, but besides the technological changes, which of course that has its own ramifications that are beyond technology, what changes do you see that are, aside from technological, Mm -hmm. in the field of music supervision over the last decade, let's just say? I mean, I guess, you know, music has become part of the branding of a show for some shows, you know, they're very much about having the music as another part that you can really use to market the overall show. I mean, I don't think I have really worked on projects like that. Not that people don't, you know, go to Spotify to listen to the Shameless soundtrack or Animal Kingdom or whatever they do, but it's not the same as euphoria where you know the music is talked about as much as the storyline and so i think that and having so many you know artists blend between being actors and being musicians and incorporating that and sometimes also composers or music producers so someone like donald glover who you know wears all those hats can certainly um, like use his music in like a much larger sense to create a piece of art that is, you know, less of a collaboration between a writer, a director. And, you know, if you wear all those hats and you have a big overall vision, I, I guess that's, you know, a way to really create something that incorporates all different, you know, aspects of the art into one. You're talking about Danny Glo- you're talking about Childish Gambino and the show Atlanta, right? Yeah, and I think he's involved in other projects as, you know. Right. Right. But yeah, in tr- I mean I think it's there's been this push over the past, you know, few years for music to be a marketing tool and be a big part of the identity of the show. I mean, I think Shameless is that in a way of that we don't have a composer and it it uses music in a different way than most shows do. It's, it definitely is a character in the show, but it's all existing music. It's not music that was created for the show. Right. And, and along with the prominence of music and getting more visibility within a show and becoming part of the marketing, as you talked about, part of the branding. So the music supervisors their profile and your profile have also risen. Uh, example, there never was an Emmy for music supervision. Right. And all of a sudden, I think uh, we're in, we just had two years recently where uh, finally an Emmy is given to a music supervisor. And of course, that's a that has its own uh, resonating issues in terms of now sometimes music supervisors confuse the music that's in the shows with their own, uh, as if they wrote the music themselves. <laughs> I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure you've heard that. And at the same time, I am hearing what sounds like very reasonable complaints from music supervisors about the way you guys are being compensated. Um, do you want to Talk about that a little bit. Well, in terms of, you know, awards and other accolades, it is nice to be recognized 
from the industry for all the hard work we do. It really is a big part. Music plays a really big part in a lot of the success of a lot of the shows that people love. I mean, whether it's a period piece or, or something brand new, it really helps tell the story and elevate the art form. And um, for so long to sort of feel like jilted just because we didn't write the songs doesn't mean that we didn't play a creative role in making the product, you know? There's so much that goes into finding the right piece of music to put in a scene that, I mean, people just don't think about, like whether even, you know, even if the piece of music is created specifically for it, you're still there to say, what are we looking for? What what vibe and how do we make that happen? And how do we afford it? And where do we find the musicians and everything like that. And then in terms of finding existing music, you face the same challenges. You know, can you license it? If you, can you afford it? Is there something that's better than what you initially envisioned. I mean, there's so, so much that goes into it and it is so time consuming and it, it's difficult and um, it can be contentious and it's nice to be recognized for that. In terms of compensation, I mean, we don't get paid weekly. I mean, right. I think that's how most musicians and picture editors and music editors and everyone around us gets paid and for better or worse at least in television we get paid by the episode or as far right. as you know my experience and sometimes that's great and sometimes it seems unfair i don't have a strong opinion on it because i, I work on so many different types of projects where you know i feel like it all equals out in the end i don't really know how to speak to the question about the compensation. <laughs> well, well, the thing is that, that used to be, you know, wor you worked on a show and it was for 23 episodes. And now a lot of the shows, uh, certainly for streaming networks, are 10 episodes, sometimes less. And supervisors, you guys are getting paid by the episode. And it can take just as long to finish... 10 episodes as it does to 23. Yeah. So the math is you're getting paid less for your time. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I mean, definitely with doing these shorter seasons, you do feel like you're working all the time. And there's also a, just a bigger sense of you don't know when or if the show is coming back because sometimes it doesn't air until you've been finished working on it for you know, a month or months, and then it finally airs and it's either a success. And it, as, if it's a success, sometimes they're like, we're coming right back. And if it's a failure, then, you know, the show that you were relying on is all of a sudden, you know, not part of your workload anymore. So it's, there's a lot of unknowns with the way it works now. That said, there's so much work because there's so much, you know, production that it's hard not to be really grateful for all these opportunities. And not only is there so much work, but there's, you know, such a diversity in the product that, you know, you can work on a show that's, you know, a traditional, you know, period piece comedy. And then you're working on, you know, a science fiction thing that the, the world has opened up so much in terms of what is being produced that, you get these really unique opportunities and it's, you know, lots of new challenges and it's really exciting. So 
there's definitely the downside of, you know, working for what feels like less. And then there's also, you know, the excitement of having so many cool projects to work on. Right. Music supervisors remind me of producers who produce rock records. Uh, when you're in, because, you know, hip hop R&B producers or electronic music producers are really more than just the producers. They're, you know, we're making tracks. We, we make the underlying music. But with rock producers, they're producing a band. The band is making the tracks. Right. The band is making the music. But the job of the rock producer is to keep peace among the members of the band <laughs> and kind of it's diplomatic, you know, to, to balance the interests of the individuals in the band versus who's the leader of the band and getting the engineer to, you know, keep the engineer's sanity through all of this. And I've always been grateful to music supervisors because uh, they interact with all these other parties and somehow are able to balance the interests of all the parties and try to defend the quality of the music at the same time, which is not easy, <laughs> which is a job I'm glad I don't have <laughs> and uh, very grateful that I don't have it. I mean, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And, you know, we're all really on the same team and we all have the same goal to make the best product possible. And sometimes it's hard to keep in mind the fact that we're all really trying to tell someone else's story. So in television, you know, we're really, there's an executive producer who has the entire series in mind and the way it's right. supposed to feel. And it's, that's the story that we have to tell. And sometimes when you're going episode by episode, you can forget that because it might be your chance to shine. Like you ha you just wrote the per what you think is the most perfect piece of music for a scene. Um, or I just found a song that I think nails this giant montage and a producer could, you know, say, I 100% from the start have always known that that was going to play silent <laughs> or whatever it is, you know, and mm -hmm. it is their story. And, you know, when you have the best people doing their best job and they're passionate about it and they have their opinions and they want them to be heard. And at the end, I think it's all those sort of spirited, you know, conversations that end up producing the best product. So you've been doing this, as we've been saying, a long time. Uh, you were doing it before I met you too. And so mm -hmm. I guess from the mid or early 90s. Yeah, from the and mid 90s. Mid 90s. And you've been doing this with your reputation intact, both professionally and humanistically, shall we say, for your honesty, your integrity, your kindness, and your appreciation, your what people would call artist friendliness. And I, I would propose that part of that is probably a very small part of it, but part of it nonetheless has to do with meditation. And, uh, you know, we've talked about meditation for a few years now. How did you start to get interested in meditation? You know, I'm not 100% sure. I feel like way before I started doing it, I mean, I think it was always something that seemed generally like a good thing to do, just like exercising or reading or, you know, just one of those things, you know, you kind of should do. And I, I felt like I always had this 
feeling that I'm going to do this at some point. Years and years and years ago, when I used to do a lot more yoga, you know, I'd experiment with meditation a little bit here and there on retreats, but never doing it on my own. And then I just felt like they're kept being these, these signs that were like, can I be any clearer? You need to start doing this. I was going through a period where I really was having a hard time sleeping. I was just mm-hmm. like anxiety ridden and stress ridden. And I'd be mm-hmm. lying in bed at night and this meditation book would be right in my eye line as I was, you know, trying to sleep. But it's also those times when you're so often making such bad decisions, like what am I going to do now? Get up in the middle of the night and learn how to meditate, you know, that I'm tomorrow's going to be even worse for me. And then the next day you're so tired and you're like, I just want to get to bed early tonight. So I'm not going to start today. I mean, then suddenly I don't know what, what made me really start the book that was in my bookcase. I did start, I did start reading that and I did start meditating, but it was like, really pretty structured. As I've told you, I'm not like at all professional about meditating. So I don't know the different schools and and methods. But anyway, this was pretty structured and you need to do it for 20 minutes a day, twice a day or something like that. And I just Mm -hmm. couldn't keep that up. It just, Mm -hmm. it wasn't realistic. And so I, I did it for a while and then I stopped and then I'd start again. And I did notice a certain calmness when I would do it, but then always like a disappointment in myself that I couldn't do it, you know? So Mm -hmm. then I stopped and then I do remember this. I was shooting an episode of Shameless and we were on location and I was talking to one of the people in the band that we were shooting and she was saying how Deepak Chopra and Oprah Winfrey do these online meditations or they, they have an app where you can stream or download meditations. And and I think she sent me a link to it right then and there, and I did it. I did like a 21-day meditation, and it was, it's just, you know, you do, I would do it first thing in the morning, and they talk a little, and then they give you a mantra, and you meditate for 10 minutes. And it was such a lovely way to start the day that it made it so much easier to stick with it. You know, I'd wake up and think, even if I'm tired or even if I have these other things to do, this might be the best 20 minutes of my day because it was so enjoyable. And so I started doing that pretty regularly. And then, you know, here and there, I would drop off and start again. Now there's just, there's so many apps to help you. So sometimes I do the waking up app or I'll use different ones, but I'm definitely not yeah, I've never been on like, you know, a three-day silent retreat or I don't, I haven't really studied it and I don't know all the different schools and I don't, you know, I just know that I think it, it helps me and I hope it, you know, gives me a little more presence of mind and makes me, I, I hope, a better listener in so many senses, you know, like really <laughs> listening to other people and listening to myself and even listening to music, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think so many people can identify with your process. You know, you're starting out. And by the way, what what book was it that told you you had to meditate 20 minutes uh in the or twice a day? 
I should go down and find it. It was like, Buddha is your friend or something. I don't know. It had been a gift of someone to my husband who was a big fan of it and was like, this book changed my life. You have to read it. And I was, I kept thinking, I'm the one who should read it. I'm the one who's interested in this. And then I bet it took me so long to, to finally read it. And I don't know. <laughs> I don't even think I ever finished it. But Yeah. I mean, 20 minutes twice a day. I, I know TM. Right. That It works like that. Um, but other meth I mean that's that's a pretty ambitious itinerary for a beginning meditator. And I think I certainly can identify, and I think a lot of people can identify with if you can't do it, uh, and you start beating yourself up and you said you were disappointed in yourself, you're frustrated with yourself. And it's great that you just persevered in trying to find a way to do it uh, and found something more practical. I guess there was the Oprah program and, and I wasn't clear, was that cumulative 20 minutes a day like 10 minutes plus 10 minutes is that what it was yeah it's it's like one 10 one 20 minute period um where you know, oprah does like a little introduction and then deepak ex, you know sort of explains um like where the process is going through because there's a bunch of them there are these 21 day series but by the time you get to meditating, you're pretty relaxed and you sort of have a big goal in mind, whether it's like physical health or emotional health or, um, you know, being more successful. There, there's they have all these different, you know, sort of courses or anyway, but there, I, I found them, especially for a beginner, super helpful. Right. And you talk about the, uh, the waking up app. Yeah, the Sam Harris app. I'm a big fan of his intellectual work. You know, he's a very smart guy, very articulate. He has a, and I don't know if you went along with this, but his thrust of his meditation program is to realize that you don't have a self, that that's an illusion. He doesn't tell you what yourself could be. He just says you, the self that you think you have isn't real, Right. And that everything that happens, it's all about consciousness, which right. which is, in my view, indisputable. It, it is all about consciousness. And that everything that you experience in your life is just an appearance in your consciousness. I thought that his goal of getting you to see some of these things is a great goal. Sometimes it's a little heavy-handed. You know, you got to let the person find it for him or herself. But on the other hand, it, I guess it opens up a, a different way of seeing things, I'm assuming. Did it do that for you? Yeah. I mean, I mean, some of the things he says are, you know, you're sort of like, that is a giant concept for me to, you know, like you could spend, you know, years sort of delving into that. Because, I mean, like I, I'm like you in that I really admire the way he speaks what he chooses to speak on and how he speaks about it um the app is sometimes a little i'm like whoa, whoa that's mind-blowing but i like how he continuously brings you back he talks a lot throughout his meditations but i enjoy that way of always focusing my mind on something so i don't know if esoteric's the right word, but you know, so outside of my natural world. And so you're not your mind's not gonna drift to 
the worry of like, I have a four o'clock deadline mm-hmm. today because you're thinking about something so much sort of bigger. So that aspect of his meditations, I actually really enjoy. Maybe because I'm such a beginner also, I feel like I always need help focusing. A lot of the things I got from your book helped me a lot in terms of like counting in four, four time to keep your mind occupied and stop it from drifting is so incredibly helpful to me. Um, you know, and both of you talk about listening instead of trying to drown out the sounds around you, you know, trying to really listen to them. Um, things like that help me a lot. Oh, that's great. I'm glad you got something out of my book. <laughs> Yeah, I got a lot out of your book. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you got, the, you know, I was going to remark about the listening because uh, that's one of the main things that you mentioned is one of the benefits that you get out of meditating is you mentioned calmness and your ability to deal with stress. And then you talked about how you're a better listener. And, and you talked about how you can listen to other people and listen to music more, you didn't use the term mindfully, but I know that's what you meant, with more awareness of really what you're hearing. And, you know, I can't help but (laughs) connect that to the fact that you're a musician and that you're a music person. And that's not only helping you in your life, but that helps you meditate. In other words, because you're a good listener, that enables you to sit and practice and be patient with just appreciating the process of hearing and not taking it for granted. Right. And not trying to, um, like come to it with any preconceived notions, which I feel like we all do in so many different levels. Like whether you're going to a meeting and you think, I know that the music editor has put this song in and they're going to be really trying to keep this song and I want it to be this song. And, you know, which Mm -hmm. probably they're not thinking and I shouldn't be thinking like, you know, you go into that meeting with whatever preconceived notion, you might listen to a song because of the title or because of the band with a preconceived notion. You might read it everything we do instead of just going into it with like more of an open heart and an open mind. And really like, I look, this isn't my meeting. I'm here to listen, learn, and then hopefully deliver something that is what everyone is looking for. Yeah, that's so great, and that's so essential. It's like, so you've developed the skill to quiet your inner voice. That's always chattering, right? Our inner voice. Always. (laughs) In order to really listen to somebody else, your inner voice might be telling you, you know, what you talked about, the preconception, prejudging the editor wants that song, but you're silencing your own self-referential agenda to really understand what somebody else is telling you. Right. I mean, the editor is probably thinking like, I'm hungry and I can't wait for this to end to go to, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, We don't, we never know what other people are thinking of. So, I mean, so I, I, believe me, I feel like I'm far from successful on any of these, but, um, you know, as long as we keep practicing, hopefully we keep getting better. Yeah. I mean, so your practice now, when and I, and I know it's you may not practice every single day, and that's fine. But so you do the counting, the counting of the breaths, the rhythmic counting, right? The musical. 
mm-hmm. counting the four bars, and you do some of the exercises from Wake Up. Do you still do that? Yeah. So, I mean, it really depends on the day, but I'll, I'll go through phases where I'll go back to, you know, one of these Oprah Deepak meditations, or then, then I'll do Sam Harris and for a stretch, and then I'll switch to doing it on my own, I, especially if I'm somewhere quiet enough, or this doesn't apply now, but when I would get to a meeting early, which I pretty much would always do because I hate the stress of being late, then, you know, finding time to sit in my car and try to use like these 10 minutes productively before I go into this meeting. And so just breathing or, you know, Mm. trying to meditate on my own Mm. in a time like that. Terrific. That's great. And, and, and do you notice because music supervisors inevitably are thrust into conflicts and the eye of the hurricane. Do you notice that your practice of meditation helps you in those relationships or in those situations where there's a lot of tension and conflict? I mean, I think sometimes when the energy is running really high, there's, you know, there's, it's hard not to get caught up in it. But I think in general, if I can have a trigger to remind myself, like, breathe and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. let's see this for what it is mm-hmm. this is a, you know not worth it. it i mean and it's not just in work it's obviously in life as well you know you get caught up especially with family stuff it is can be really emotional and so you know even if you don't do it in the time sometimes i can walk away from a conversation i had with my son or something like that like what was i thinking that was the a totally inappropriate reaction to, you know, what was actually happening and taking some time and then going back and saying, like, can we just talk about this again? Because, you know, that wasn't productive. But, I mean, I hope more and more I will be, you know, in the moment and not as a redo. <laughs> well, it's so great to, and so important to be able to go back to your breathing you were talking about right to yeah to help i mean it's something we have wherever we go right (laughs) right to to it's like a refuge right okay i belong here yeah in this moment and as you said you see a bigger picture yeah i mean one thing a weird thing i don't know if other people struggle with this so you can tell me so it helps me in a way put things in perspective like okay this is not the end of the world. Just like let this go or you did the best you could, whatever. But on the other hand, some of the stuff we work on, it is a big deal. Like these are really big deals. So I think what I've been trying to, or I know what I've been trying to do, but what I hope I will be successful at doing is that really like cutting off the problem upstream before it becomes, you know, a much bigger issue. So trying to look at something in the light of like, listen, if this, if this relationship or this whatever continues along these lines, it's going to become a big problem later. If you can't have an, an honest dialogue with the director or if you and whatever, this teacher at your son's school are sort of, you know, having, if you're butting heads now, Where's that going to end up later? So trying to like have the calmness to say, let's not worry about, you know, stepping on toes or hurting 
people's feelings. Let's just be direct about it and try to fix this before it becomes something, you know, bigger and worse. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that I'm not like trying to take deep breaths. Well, you know, that something really, mm -hmm. that really could be a problem is happening. Like, oh, we're missing, you know, a percentage of that song or something like that. Right. <laughs> Is that a big deal? I mean, uh, is, that, is that one of the things you meant by a big deal? Like somebody has 2% of a song and it's... <laughs> it is. I mean, like things like that. I mean, sometimes, you know, if you're putting 40 songs into an episode of Shameless, like something you might not realize that you're missing 2% of a song and, you you know it's important. <laughs> you got to have the whole thing. So, or, right. or, you know, you misread somebody's quote there. There's a lot to, I hope about being more mindful. That makes me take more time to, I guess it's, I mean, it's the same thing as listening, but so when you're doing so much work on your phone, I think like I tend to not, it, it's not the same as physically holding a letter or what, you know, you, you don't take it as seriously or you're scrolling through it too quickly. And so sometimes you miss out on some of the details. So it's just important to realize, take a breath and make sure something's really done and done correctly. Mm -hmm. Well, it's so great that you've been able to maintain this practice and i think you're balancing how many shows you're working on at once five shows six shows or something like that yeah i mean because yeah. of exactly what we were talking about with um, yeah. there being so much cable and not knowing for sure if things are coming back next season and stuff but yeah somewhere around six shows and, and balancing fa a family at the same time yes but you know there's definitely i mean this has really like made me see a lot more of the joy in both work and family having this time. Oh, that's nice to hear. That's nice to hear. You mentioned you're a beginner and uh, many of us are working very hard to be beginners. <laughs> I love when people say things like that. Because <laughs> a beginner is always ready to receive something new some some new insider doesn't assume that they know everything if you assume you know everything you can't grow yeah so well it's been incandescent chatting with you likewise especially enjoyed the role of meditation and mindfulness in your life and uh is there anything that uh we should know about or you, you want to mention before we sign off in terms of what I'm doing, it's also up in the air, but I would definitely encourage, which I'm sure your listeners already have, but how much I enjoyed reading your book and how helpful it is. Because I'm really not a musician. I am a music lover, but I don't think you have to be a musician to get a lot from your book. Oh, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh I should have asked that question at the beginning instead of at the end. But, <laughs> well, hopefully but then most again, people that was, stayed. <laughs> yeah, hopefully most people stay to the end. Well, it's been, as always, as it has been over the last decades, a pleasure and a sincere sensation talking with you. And wish you all the best. And thank you so much for agreeing to come. 
and look forward to speaking again. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for including me. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.